Hello, internets. Hello, E3 people. Welcome to the GG Cast, episode 22, uh, PP at the E3. Yes. I guess is what we're calling this. We're and we're totally actually calling. doing a podcast again. I know. That's it's crazy, been right? Three weeks. We should have, yeah. Three weeks in an E3 podcast is what we should have named this. This yeah, is like three weeks yeah. since we podcast. E3 weeks. Uh, anyway, as always, I am Brian, uh, here with my best buddy, Jason. How you doing, Jason? I am doing fantastic. Um, fantastic, it is, huh? It, is, it has been a rough few weeks. Obviously, as I'm sure you know, the, uh, the life has been a little hectic lately. So Yeah, I've been part of that. Yes. So we unfortunately have not podcasted for three weeks, but that doesn't mean I haven't gamed in three weeks. You, you've been gaming. I have been gaming, yeah. I've had a chance to play some games, which has been good. Actually, right now, my current drug of choice, dare I say, is Division 2. I've actually played a lot of the Division 2 lately. It's been a ton of fun. I uh, Wait, so did you end up actually buying it then? Yeah, I got it. I picked it up. I played it on the free weekend uh, over the E3 release, and then I liked it so much I picked it up. So, so you refuse to actually move out to Washington, D.C. to you know live out here by me, but you're going to play a game about some sort of horrible dystopia that... I guess I've probably died in. You know, actually, I the one of the things I like about Division Two is I know most of the uh, places I'm running to to kill people in. So it's What's like that oh, big white house I've, over there. I don't get it. I've been there. Oh, I've also been there. Yeah, so it's perfect. So you would actually probably love it because you're like, I know exactly the street that's on. Oh, hey, we played that stupid Pokemans game over here trying to catch the Pokemans <laughs> on the phone. I've been on this subway before. Yeah, so it's a good time, man. I like it. You know, it's um. Not to do a full game review because I haven't played it near enough to play it because I'm or to game review it yet. Um, but it's uh, I like the shooting in it. The shooting feels good. Um, not like most of the third person shooters I've played, uh, which is awesome. Uh, I like the story. The story though, uh, I didn't play Division One very much. I played it for like twelve minutes total. Um, so I feel a little lost in the story. But they do a decent job of at least kind of carrying you through what you are and what you're doing and everything else like that. Um, okay. It's a looter. Or it's a shooter, looter, looter, shooter. Um, it's looter. So yeah, yeah. So it's looter. So you basically shoot things and pick things up. Um, I still there's like loadouts and stuff like that. So I guarantee you, I'm not playing the game to its full potential because I'm not using specific loadouts. I'm just like, oh, this gun's more fun to shoot. So I'm gonna put that in slot one. Then naturally, I'm gonna put a faster shooting gun in slot two for close range, and then slot three is my pistol. So let's do that. Look at um, that strategy, though. That's that's yeah. impressive. Right? So if, I, if someone comes running up on me, I just switch to my second slot, and then I go back to my long-range gun and start popping people from a distance. But um, Now, are you playing with other people at all, or is this all just with like randos or solo stuff? No, this is all... I, so far, I've been able to solo everything, and actually, this is kind of my pitch right here to get Brian to pick the game up, so I'll have somebody else to play with, because I know Jameson has it, but he hasn't logged in, like, ever. Um no, but it, uh, right now I'm doing it all solo. I think it would be a lot more fun with additional people. Um, sure. I don't know if... Th the one thing I'm curious to know is if I have more people, if the encounters scale, right? So, like, I go on a mission right now, and I I don't think I'm that good at the game that I can just solo these missions, and they should be done with two or three people. Um, so, I, it must scale when you have more people involved. I, I don't know how that works, but... Um, it's a lot of fun, man. I like it. I do nice. like the the perks and the kind of the system, the perk system in the game allows you to have like 
So my two, I shouldn't say perks, they're skills, right? My two skills right now are I have this little like freaking drone that flies around and I can make him target people and you just, right? And then the other one I have is like this, this like a uh, robotic mine that just rolls out there and then it blows up where out of whatever target I put it on. So I like the fact that if you were to play with multiple people, like you could kind of synergize the skills that you're using. So I like that idea. So, so, so far, it's good. Yeah, so okay, so real talk here. We, we've yeah. talked about this a little bit in uh, immersion and stuff like that in gaming, but th- let me, how does this work within this game world now? So the, you've got the money plague, right, where people touch the money and then they got the money flu and they all died and everything like that. That's what and, it sounds like. And yeah, and there's some bad dude out there or whatever. And we need to send in these special division members that are like super secret agents and highly trained or whatever. And they're going to go in there and shoot all the drug addicts around Washington, D.C. to stop the money flu. Right? Am I, am I, on, am I on track so far? So far, yeah. You're pretty close. Okay, cool. So also, we apparently have the technology to make these magic drones and robot explosive mind thingies or whatever... But rather than just flying the drones in and doing it, we're going to make you go in there with your little machine guns and stuff like that to then deploy the drone. Yeah, it seems like the drones are in short supply, so we just couldn't send a billion drones in. So what happens if your drone gets shot? Uh, It it respawns about 30 minutes later. (laughs) So they're definitely in short supply. (laughs) They're definitely in short supply. Well, they're reproducing drones. So when it's shot down, it, it has sex with another drone and it spits out a third drone. And then oh, we have another on drone again. Deathbed or something. Yeah. Yes, okay. Exactly. No, that, that totally. Yeah, that tracks. Okay. Cool. I am on board. It's um, it's a fun game. Like again, if you can, you're absolutely right. If you can put the fact that I have retarded uh, technology strapped to my back that I could just send in fifty of those things and it would wipe out an entire like clan of hyenas. Uh, yeah, the bad guys are called hyenas, by the way. At least where I'm at, they're, they're they called may, hyenas. They may they, change their name as you get literal animals. Level. No, no. Oh, okay. No, no, they may change uh, their name as you get a, a higher level. I don't know. But yeah, they're cool. the gang of hyenas. Um, but yes, I, I could absolutely send 30 drones in and wipe out a whole gang of hyenas. But that wouldn't be any fun because there's no human element to it. So now I'm sending this random human in to sneak through to this building. To shoot the hyenas. Sure. To shoot the hyenas with a drone hey, strapped to his back. No, so. that all, that, yeah, that tracks. I, <laughs> I'm still not on board. But it, hey, when that thing goes on sale sometime in the future or it's on the Humble Monthly Bundle, I will... Play it for a couple minutes. I like what you did there. I like what you did there. So yeah, that's what I've been uh, doing. What have you been up to? Oh man, I have played so many different games. Uh, I started and finished Ori in the Blind Forest. Uh, I started and finished Devil May Cry. Uh, oh man, which was that number four? DMC. Uh, that version of it. I am currently working my way through Horizon Zero Dawn and uh, the PS4 Spider-Man. Because I never played either of those, and they had a big sale here uh, during E3. So I picked up both of them, and I'm enjoying my way through through both of those games. Uh, I played a whole bunch of Overwatch. I, I got, uh, yeah, I, I actually finished my comp matches for the first season in quite a while now, probably a, a year. Uh, and then promptly lost like five or six matches in Good a row. Good lord, has it been that long since we podcasted? We haven't talked about finishing our comp matches. I felt like a month ago. <laughs> yep. And uh, that might be everything that I've... Oh, and I've uh, I've enjoyed watching my wife and my son work their way through Yoshi's Crafted World on the Switch. Uh, which has awesome. been entertaining. Yeah, he uh, he's really into the dinosaur. 
He thinks the dinosaur is awesome. And he, uh, it's a pretty cute game. Uh, I don't know if you've played any of those Yoshi games. Uh, the last one that I played was whatever the one on the N64 was. Uh, but this feels really similar where, you know, if you want to just get from point A to point B in the map from, you know, the start to the finish, it's really not too difficult. But they add in a lot of cute little Easter eggs, hidden things, uh, challenge type things where you need to find hidden items in the, the world map. And so they've been having a lot of fun on that because you kind of have to replay these levels repeatedly. And it turns out that preschoolers really like that sort of thing. They like seeing you go through these levels that they know. So Lena will pick a thing that they're supposed to be finding. Oh, okay, on this level we need to find the crab. And then he'll sit there next to her on the couch watching as she plays through trying to find wherever the crab is on this map. And uh, he is absolutely loving it. They only play like maybe 30 minutes a day because we're still trying to limit that screen time and everything. But uh, yeah, it's, it's been good fun watching them. Dude, it's summer. Just let him go. Six, seven hours a day, you're good. Yeah, I don't know if that counts for a three-year-old, but... Oh, yeah, that's right, that's right. Right now, he is uh, he's learning about his continents in school, so he's just actually more into that than pretty much anything. I'm sorry, like, you uh, say continents or consonants? Like uh, continents. C and D like that, or like that wor- That world map you've got on the wall behind you, he would be losing his freaking mind right now if he saw that. Nice. Yeah. yeah, that that's damn funny. Montessori education. Uh, yeah, so that's where, that's where I'm at. Other than that, it's, uh, checking out a little bit of E3 coverage. Um, so, why don't we talk about E3 a little bit? We're not gonna do a big recap. Um, if you, if you guys wanna hear a recap of everything that happened at E3 still, uh, there are a lot of other people that have gone through in-depth everything out there. Um, big takeaway on it, not a whole lot happened at E3 this year. Um... Do you want to start? Why don't you, let's let's jump into it a little bit. What are overall thoughts on E3? Yeah, um, I can start. So here's here's what I'd say about E3. E3 was, um, for lack of better terms, it was disappointing, uh, and it it wasn't disappointing from the aspect of uh, the games that were released necessarily, because they were all games that I was looking forward to. The disappointing part was the lack of shock and awe. They were all games sure. I knew were coming out. Like they were all there wasn't really a whole lot out there that I was like, oh my god, this is gonna be so awesome. Like let's see, the the one game I can think of that I was just like, oh, I had no idea that was even in the works. Banjo and Kazooie. Right? <laughs> like But I'm not excited about that game, so it didn't really hit me in the feels. But it was like, oh wow, that's play kind them of a- in Smash Brothers and it's gonna be fantastic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and now, if I remember correctly, I actually think there's a Banjo and Kazooie game coming. Out, I right? think that, yes, they added them to Smash Brothers, but I think there's a full out game that they're building for the Switch, right? So things like that were um, were good. Uh, you know, all the other games were expected. Um, you know, the one I will say, the one shock and awe moment in a game I expected was Keanu Reeves. Telling Samurai sure. to get up because there's a city they need to burn. Dude, Sorry. Keanu Reeves in Cyberpunk 2077, I am more hyped about that game than I was before, and I didn't know I could be. Like that game I was already pretty pumped about. And then Keanu Reeves, like this is the year of Keanu, seriously. If like there's a Chinese New Year that needs to be replaced, it's whatever the year is this year, and just make it the year of Keanu. Get out of um, here, rat. It's yeah. now the year of Keanu. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, I mean 
Keanu basically killed it being himself, um, and also simultaneously made that game look absolutely fantastic. I mean, this is the first Keanu game since the Enter the Matrix game, and that was not a good game. So let's hope this one's a little bit better than that. Yeah, Enter the Matrix was terrible. Um, Cyberpunk 2077 hopefully is not terrible. Um, Everything that, everything that they're showing, it looks fantastic. I have super high hopes for this game, which I actually, um, you know, we talked about it actually in our year-end recap last year, that this is one of our super highly anticipated games for this year, and then sadly it got pushed, which we expected. Like, when, when yeah. they said it was going to come out this year, we are like, ooh, that's aggressive. Not, yeah, um, not a chance. So, you know, we it's not a surprise that it got pushed, but I'm really pumped for that game. So, um, Let's see, what else really kind of called to me uh, in E3? Oh, you know what? Watch Dogs Legion, actually, uh, I'm excited for. I didn't think I was going to be excited for. I played Watch Do- the last Watch Dogs, Watch Dogs 2. Um, it was all right. Like, I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it. It was just kind of whatever. But I love the idea of having every single NPC in the game be playable, right? Sure. Like, that is so cool to me that you can just walk around this city of thousands of people and, like, scan this dude and be like, oh, he's an old MI6 agent. I'm going to recruit him. Or, oh... Grandma over here sitting there feeding the pigeons is an ex-assassin. Let's pull her into the crew, right? Sure. I, I think that's freaking awesome. And I can't imagine the amount of work that went into getting that done. I think that it's, it's... You never played uh, the last Metal Gear game, did you? Metal Gear 5? Um, I didn't. It's not the last one because they had the horrible survival version game. Uh, so that one had not even close to the same thing. But it had this system where you could Fulton out enemy soldiers and somehow end up recruiting them into your own little squad of soldiers and everything. Um, and they didn't really do missions with you, but they kind of were working behind the scenes. And that had this just ridiculously addicting aspect to it where you would go around and you could scan them and find out, you know, what people had skills that you kind of needed. And, it, you know, it felt similar where it's like you'd be looking at this camp and you're like, okay, you're a D rank, I can shoot you. You're a D rank, I can shoot you. Oh, an S rank over here. It's like, you get to live. And so, you know, you spend all this time making sure you kill everybody you don't care about and then Fulton out the guy that you really want to make sure you get recruited back in your base. Uh, so I, I could see something like that being similar now in this new Watch Dogs. Yeah, and I'm really excited about it. Like, I, I just like the idea of, from a replayability standpoint, Right? Like looking at it like, okay, I played through the game, which again, this is an open world, seems like there's a ton of stories, so played through the game quotes. It doesn't seem like it's a thing that's possible. But I played through the game and I want to go back and play it and recruit different people. Like I recruited Marge from the park who was feeding the pigeons, but now I want to recruit Jerry from the cricket club at the you know, at the old men's home and see what he does, right? Sure. And it sounds like according to according to um Oh my god, why don't I want to say it's not Bethesda, that's uh, Ubisoft, right? Ubisoft, yeah. Yes. According to Ubisoft, they're saying every character has their own story, which I think is ridiculous. If you're going to write that many stories, that's nuts. Now, I'm sure they probably wrote, you know, 1,600 canned stories and then they duplicated it and changed in, a yeah. few words, but, you know, even still, that's pretty, pretty intense. So. So that yeah, one that, one's, that one's going to be interesting to see. Uh, I'm very curious to see how that pans out and how big this world actually is and how deep those stories are then. You know, if you've got that many people that are playable characters, does it mean that it's all just superficial or do you actually get really good arcs out of anything here? Yeah, yeah I'm excited about that. What was the other one? Oh, uh, I mean, the obvious Square Enix Final Fantasy VII. Though, 
there's a couple couple gripes I have. One gripe we've already talked about. I hate the fact that it's live action. Like, like don't make it an action RPG. It was built as a turn based RPG for a reason. The story plays well with the turn based RPG. I do like the um, the idea of the fact that it kind of has this play style where as soon as you build up enough. Um, resources, we'll say. I don't remember what they called it. I want to call it materia. It's not materia. Uh, enough resources. Your power meter. Yeah. You build up enough of your power meter, it basically stops time, and then you get to select that turn-based move, right? I like that. Um, but they at least tried to pay a little homage to the to the old ways. They, uh, they do, but, I mean, is it going to feel like you're just basically doing nothing, you know, like kind of slapping them with a wet noodle for... 10 seconds until you build that meter up enough to then actually do something interesting again? Because at that point, then, who really gives a crap about the real-time, live-action-y type parts? That's that's exactly what I was going to get at. Like, I like the fact that they did that, but then realistically, like, everything in between just feels like wasted time. I mean, like, I'm just literally slashing him with a sword to do three damage, three damage, three damage, just to build up the stupid power bar so that I can actually do my real moves, right? So it's hard for me when they're like... Uh, well, let's see, uh, it's, well, it's, cause, so the other thing that I'm going to get on is the fact that it's released in an episodic, which I don't yes. necessarily like. So they're only releasing the Midgar version for the first disc. And then the next disc, which they, you know, they, one of the things that Brand called out when we talked about this last week was he likes the fact that it's two discs because it really does feel like old school Final Fantasy, like insert disc two. Oh yeah, I remember this, right? That's super cool. But the only reason they're putting it on two discs isn't because of the size of it. It's because they want to. They don't have the rest of it built. Right? Well, yeah, they're and they're doing three of them, right? Uh, I guess not two. I think they're doing three different episodes. Uh, so the here's the key: when it said, "Hey, cool, insert disc two, there was about a thirty second delay when you went over to the case and you popped out disc two and you hit the eject button and you popped in disc two and you put disc one back in the case and then you started playing again. This, you're going to finish it and you're going to wait 20 years based on the pace that they release games. I was just going to say, and what we know about Square Enix is everything outside of Midgard will never be delivered, right? Because they're they're the type of people they scrap games based on how they feel that they're performing. Um, You know, this game has already been released. So candidly, I, I don't feel like Though I'm really excited to play it, I don't think there's 100% of people out there that are like, oh, dude, dude, Final Fantasy VII, I'm going to totally play it again, even though they changed it up and everything, right? So you can't expect it to perform as well as Final Fantasy VII did, right? Well, and I and feel like... I mean, so, okay, Midgar's a cool world. It, like, it's it's a neat space they they created. Part of what makes it so cool, though, is that you get in, you spend three or four hours there, maybe a little bit more on your first playthrough, and then you get out and... When you first played that game, it's, you know, you leave Midgar and you all of a sudden see this world map and realize that you've only seen this tiny little fraction of the game. If they now take it and make 30% of this game, or more potentially, just this one first city, I feel like it's going to kind of shrink the rest of that world that was such a huge thing in Final Fantasy VII. Yeah, and one of the one of the things that I was going to get to in my, kind of my gripe is, is they're saying that Right now, the Midgar portion of Final Fantasy VII Remastered is almost 40 hours worth of gameplay. So, one, of that 40 hours worth of gameplay, how much of it is me hacking and slashing for three damage to build up my power bar so I can actually do a move? Point A. Sure. Point B, my favorite part of that entire game 
was getting the fuck out of Midgar. Don't get me wrong, Midgar's cool. But where's Red 13? Where's Vincent? Where's all these dudes that are outside of Midgar? Like, I know Red 13's at the end of Midgar, so maybe we'll see him. getting there, but sure. But, but like, getting out of Midgar was my favorite port. Fighting, fighting the uh, you know the, the the Bahamuts, the dragons, all these like outside of Midgar was the coolest part of the game. Sure, uh, Midgar to me just felt like dirty and kind of prehistory. You know what I mean? Like, well, know, yeah, but but you know what's going to be really cool? Now you get to see Cloud running around with a whole bunch of extra superfluous buckles and belts and stuff like that on his pants, like I don't know the remake version of Titus from Final Fantasy X. Well, and Midgar will be inhabited with people this time in comparison Even to the previous one. We're going to do ray tracing on the dirtiness of it. It is going to be <laughs> so dirty. You're not even going to... Oh, man. You can't even imagine how bleak. So let's be honest. The I'm gloom! S- <laughs> so let's be honest. I'm still going to pick up Final Fantasy VII. I'm going to. Well, of course. And you yeah, I, buy every, I buy every stupid Final Fantasy game they shit out, and they all suck lately, but I'm still going to buy it. And even Brant last week when we talked about it, he was like, no, this game, rah, 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 rah. and then I told him two discs, he's like, all right, so here's the thing, there's two discs, I like that, that's good. The fact that we can build up and we still have kind of some turn-based functionality, I like that, that's good. It lo- it, in chat, podcast, everybody listening to me right now, I'm going to tell you, the game looks absolutely beautiful. Like the freaking CGI, everything looks incredible in this game, which I will give Square Enix a million, a million Props on the way the game looks. So now, here's the problem, though. 20 years ago, they fired everybody that knows how to actually make a game fun, and they hired all these people that made Final Fantasy the spirits within, and now they've spent two decades making video game versions of that crappy movie. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So like I Final know. Fantasy 13 sucked for gameplay. Final Fantasy 15 sucked for gameplay. So, you know, you can make the most realistic-looking thing ever, and... All right, we're, we're talking in circles about this. The game is going to come out in a year. Yes. Uh, was it March uh, 20th or April 20th? One of those two. March, April. Early spring. Four, 420, out. man. Woo! <laughs> yeah. All right. What, else, what are other takeaways from E3? Uh, let's see. Um, we talked about Watchdog Legions. We talked. Oh, you know what? Actually, one takeaway I did take away from E3 uh, from the Microsoft was Game Pass Ultimate. Holy yeah. shnikes, dude! Game Pass on the Xbox, Game Pass on the PC, and Xbox Gold for Five fifteen gold. bucks a month. Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah, so I'm excited about that. Actually, I heard a little hint, by the way. Have you purchased live for the year? Uh, no, but I did also hear about this. Yeah, so if you've purchased live, and people, this is getting relatively well-known, so Microsoft may fix this, so if you're going to do it, do it now. If you've purchased live for any amount of time, right? Like, I still have seven months on my live account. If I go out right now and sign up for Game Pass Ultimate, they give me the rest of my live subscription with Game Pass Ultimate. So you sign up. It costs you whatever the, the dollar it is or whatever. And yep, if you have seven you months, six months left of oh Viper Zero or Vibe Zero saying it's fixed already. Crap. Yeah. <laughs> so that would that's I haven't done it yet. I should do it, but it sounds like that they were allowing. Might be too to, late. 
essentially have the remainder of their Xbox Live Gold um, converted into Ultimate. Converted into Ultimate. So I know there are people going out there buying three years of Xbox Live Gold and then then signing up for um, the uh, yeah, Ultimate and you get you can save hundreds of dollars doing that. Yeah. So it doesn't surprise me if they fixed it already, but uh, either way, it's a good value. Fourteen ninety nine a month, you get uh, Xbox Live. Or I'm sorry, Xbox Live Gold. You get Game Pass for PC, which right now has what a hundred games on it. I actually, you were texting me and saying it's got a ton of fun games now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's also got obviously your Game Pass for Peter for Xbox, which you know for fourteen ninety nine a month, that's actually pretty solid, especially if you're an Xbox owner and a PC owner like me. It's kind of hard not to sign up for that. I so I think I might be dropping Humble Bundle. I think I oh, I don't have enough time to play both, and I have been so impressed by what Microsoft has been putting out on that thing that I might just be dropping Humble Bundle and straight up only going with Xbox for a little bit here. Say it ain't so. Say it ain't so. You know, here's so I actually agree with you. I consider this. I've been calling you out, but I consider the same thing. But here's my struggle with it. Humble Bundle gives me so many fun little indie games, like freaking Rock of Ages and Full Metal Furries and all so that stuff. So here's the thing, though. Full Metal Furies also on Game Pass. Rock of Ages, I think it's actually also on Xbox Game Pass. Um, another one that I forgot about, I completely forgot about that we need to talk about. Uh, Outer Wilds. I've been playing yes. that. On Game Pass. All of these things are just... Uh, it's, it's, it is a really good service right now. I am I am really impressed by what Microsoft's doing. Um, Outer Wilds, you need to play this game, buddy. This is a first-person puzzle-solvey type thing. Uh, a little bit more action in it than in something like The Witness, but it kind of has a little bit of a similar feel, feel where you are in this world that... You don't exactly know what's going on. Uh, This one is all space-based. You get a rocket ship. You get to fly around from planet to planet. There's a little mini-game when you get there, kind of mini-game, where you get to land your rocket on the planet. And then you get out of the rocket, and you go walking around in your spacesuit. You got a little jetpack. You got oxygen meters and stuff like that going on. And you are trying to figure out what the heck is going on in this world. And I am not going to tell you anything more than that, because there is some big stuff that happens pretty early on that surprised the crap out of me, and I love it, but... Oh, it's good stuff, man. Is it as good as The Witness? Uh, no, but it's a different type of game. See, I love The Witness, and I still haven't beat it. I played it, and then I got to a parts where I like got stumped, and I put it down for a little bit because I was getting self frustrated. But the game itself just makes me so happy. Like this one has a really good personality. Okay, all right, it's fun. It's, so think of like banjo playing, like frontiersman but in space so you're saying i should put down the division two for a little bit and play the outer wilds i would i would pick up i would pick up outer wilds yeah it's a, right. a lot of fun i'll pick up the outer wilds you pick up division two but mine's cheaper yeah <laughs> it's quite a bit cheaper <laughs> um let's keep on this microsoft train though uh microsoft had an okay show they yeah, they actually a had a lot of interesting really stuff, but they the stuff they did announce was pretty cool. A uh, bit disappointing that they didn't talk more about Scarlet, Project Scarlet, which is going to be the Xbox One 2 or the, the Xbox 21 or the Xbox 720 or whatever they're going to end up calling this thing. I actually like Scarlet. I think that's a pretty slick name for it. But, I think it is too. Um, but no, I mean, it's, it's going to be 
really powerful and it's going to be great for gamers and everything's going to be awesome on it. Uh, they did talk a little bit more about their streaming services, though, and yeah. I actually kind of want to talk about this uh, really briefly here. Um, Stadia, you know, they came out with all their stuff a couple weeks before E3. So they, they had a presence there, but they did their big announcement a couple weeks before E3 and then some smaller stuff actually at E3 itself. Um, Microsoft has kind of... So, okay, let's put it this way. Microsoft got a little bit of their thunder stolen. I don't think anybody thought that Google was going to come out ahead of E3 and kind of steal a little bit of this streaming thunder. But Microsoft, I think, has the better setup. Because Microsoft is basically saying, hey, if you want to stream your games going forward, all right, we'll make a service and you can stream your games going forward. But if you want to play them locally, we're also going to make a box that you stick in front of your TV and you play these things locally. And you don't have to worry about bandwidth caps and you don't have to worry about your internet going out. And you don't have to worry about your kids, you know, watching YouTube videos and your wife is listening to music and all of a sudden, you know, you start getting input lag or something like that. Uh, yeah, I'm... I don't know how I feel about this horrible streaming future out there, but I'm kind of team Microsoft right now. So here's here's a couple things I'll say. First of all, Vibe Zero in the chat always that's killing it over here. Called out the fact that Microsoft had to have a good show because it was the first opportunity at an E3 without Sony there. So they were literally True. the only console provider there that was like, boom, let's nail this. Hey, crap. Nintendo's there. We're gonna talk about them in a second. Literally, but a yes. real console provider. Really there. Good point. No, I'm just kidding. I love, I love this. I love my Switch. But let's be honest. Nintendo plays in a different world than Microsoft and Sony. Right? Sure. Plain simple. Uh, the second thing is uh, XCloud versus Stadia. I don't even think is a at least right now, based on the business models that have been released, it's not even a competition. Like Xbox provides you the ability to stream games you own and you own a hard copy of said game, and you can stream it anywhere. Stadia is literally a scenario where not only do you have to purchase the game for full price, which I think is BS. Like, Stadia sold us on this idea of a Netflix for gaming, right? Yes. Right? So that, that was their push. Like, and, I was, and I was pumped for that. 20 bucks a month, all the games we have on the Stadia platform, you can stream anywhere from any sure. computer. But, dude, I was... I was like, gaming is changing. The whole world's done. I, I don't even need to spend three, four grand on my computer anymore. I can play this on a freaking MacBook Pro laptop and nobody cares. Sign me up. No, that's not that's not the model. The model is you pay for the full game. 60 bucks for a game. You get jack shit, except for you can stream it. Yeah. Are you kidding well, me? And, like, that's garbage. And, Okay, but now, to be fair to Google, Google is also potentially opening up a huge audience of people that do not want to buy a $400 or $500 console that goes in front of True. the TV, right? True. Because, yes, you would still have to buy that game for full price, and, yes, you do not own a physical copy of that game. You, there's no way you can ever resell it. All of that, like, but the person that only has a, you know, TV and they have their little Google Chrome hooked up to it and everything like that would be able to play games that otherwise they would have no access to. Absolutely true. So you're right. I didn't give Strabismus, what is it, Conneria? What is it called? Stadia. Stadia. I didn't give Stadia enough credit. Um, realistically, I don't but have anyway, to spend the no. $400 on a console. Sure. To but you will spend the $400 on a console. So for your next console... Imagine this glorious future. Instead of paying 15 bucks a month, now you're paying 20 bucks a month. But that 20 bucks a month gets you a backwards compatible library that you can stream anywhere. It gets you whatever their current version of 
Xbox Live is, as well as Xbox Game Pass, that you can now stream and play absolutely anywhere. Or if you want to sit home and sit down on the couch at home, you play it at home. If you want to buy games, you buy games the same way that you always have, and you play them at home. If you want to do couch co-op, you're not buying a couple of goofy Google Stadia $80 controllers that are not actually connected to each other, but they're transmitting into the cloud, where who knows what's going on. Probably Russians and pornography. That's all so it's I guarantee is Russian is pornography. Yep, you're probably right. So, so anyway, speaking of Microsoft, Microsoft wins. Microsoft wins. Yeah. Microsoft wins, at least in the current state, right? I, strabismus, gonorrhea, whatever we want to call it, has a chance to redeem itself. But right now, Microsoft's on top. Now, let's not quickly bypass the fact that quietly Microsoft released a new Elite Xbox controller. Did you see that? It's true. They did. It's actually a badass looking controller. Mm-hmm. And the one thing I will say that Google did well is they're allowing it to be compatible with Stadia. So you yes. can play Stadia on a PS4 slash 5 controller and on a Xbox premium, the new premium controller, which actually I like. I do like the fact that they've done their best to kind of bring that all together. Eventually. So initially, the people that are the early adopters of the Stadia, you can only use the proprietary Google controller. But yes, in the future, they are saying that you will be able to plug a other controller in and use that as an input device. Um, No, what's cool about it, this new Xbox controller, they are also promising that it will work on whatever this next Xbox ends up being next Christmas holiday next year. Right. So buy it now, use it on your X yep, use it on your Xbox One, and then whatever Scarlet becomes, this controller will also work with that. Which is pretty slick. Um other thing that you kind of missed, we have a sequel coming out to Breath of the Wild. What the I hell is didn't that? Miss it. What is I didn't that? Miss it. I actually Who was had any idea that that thing yeah. was coming out? That's I exciting. Did. I actually heard rumors of it like three or four months ago. Um, yeah. But I didn't know any of the uh, the details behind it. It actually has kind of like this horror feel. It's kind of creepy. Yeah, they're making it. You know? Yeah, they're making it a little, a little spooky. Uh, which I like. I like the fact that Nintendo's kind of branching out, and they're like, you know what? We don't have to make everything for four and five year olds. Like we can make some things for more adulty type stuff. So sure, I'm a fan of it. I you know, I'll be honest. I I have a Switch. I have Breath of the Wild. I have. Um, Smash Brothers, and that's about it on my Switch because I openly am. The, I am not a console gamer. I wish I was. Um, and actually, I think I feel like Xbox is going to bring me there. Um, but like, I just I, love, I have a thirty five hundred dollar computer for a reason. I just love playing on my PC. Keyboard and mouse is my thing. With that being said, I have enjoyed every bit of the Switch that I've played. Sure, uh, and I am. I am. I loved Breath of the Wild, and I'm excited for this expansion. Uh, you know, a candidly... It's a sequel, just, not an expansion. Touche, sorry. Let's be clear P- here. PC PC com- commentary over there. Um, you know, Twitch is saying they killed it with Banjo and the Smash updates. I agree. Banjo and Kazooie. We talked about Banjo and Kazooie already. I, I don't know. I'm, I wasn't super excited about Banjo. Um, Smash updates sound cool, um, but they're really just additional characters. But Breath of the Wild, I do feel like the next phase of that is going to be fun to play. So, and you're I, not, you're I, not hyped for Pokemans? I'm sorry, what? Kind of, kind of awful-looking Pokemon game that's coming out on the Switch? Oh, yeah, Pokemon. Guess what? Guess what? Now you can have really... 
big Pokemon, but only That's for right. a temporary short amount of time. It was uh, Pokemon's Gordon Fields, right? Something like that. Yeah. I, I, what are they, uh, I, I loved Pokemon back in the day when I was in middle school, and I imagine that a lot of people are still really into it, but that series just feels like they have nothing left. Like, there's just no creative talent. It's like, you, you get a bunch of people, they sit down in a room, they look at random clip art, try to come up with new ideas, and then they just slap it into a slightly updated new world, and whatever. Like, oh, now the Pokemon can hold two items. Oh, no, crap, we already did that in Mario Kart Double Dash. Uh, uh, what if they're just really <laughs> big this time? Done! <laughs> Let's do that. Uh, all right. Yeah. You have anything else to say about E3? Uh, Bethesda sucked, which is disappointing but expected. Uh, Fallout 76 is getting a Battle Royale, which looks terrible, Ring of Fire. They're also getting uh, the Wastelands expansion, which looks terrible because Fallout 76 is terrible. Um, still no Elder Scrolls uh, updates, uh, short of the ESO updates, which look terrible. Um, so yeah, that, that was pretty much it. I, um, I don't really have anything else. Sure, I will, I will agree with that. Um, I am not even remotely excited about the stuff that they are... Let's say, I'm not excited about anything that they are working on. What I am excited about are some of the things that they are producing, such as Doom Eternal, which looks freaking amazing. Um, oh yeah okay i don't know if you played doom 2016 but doom eternal looks like it is taking everything that was amazing about doom 2016 and kicking it up just another notch um i'm really excited for that game and that thing's out soon like that's out in like two months now or something three months now so yeah i will will be all doom eternal looks legit i'll give you that one but i mean again that's not that that one looks good and yeah um yeah what else you got before me uh oh well i mean we can talk a little bit about it It was a pre pre pre-e3 stuff but um uh the apex Legends stuff season two is coming out they actually took a lot of community feedback they've incorporated the season two battle pass to be easier to level more interactive gets people coming back so i think that looks good their skins uh, look a lot better. It looks like they spent some time on them as compared to taking a previous skin and throwing <laughs> a few extra colors on it. Yeah, it wasn't just a couple um, shaders that they slapped on top of things. So that looks good. I hope that uh, you know that continues because right now, candidly, uh, Apex Legends is kind of kind of dying out. Um, you know, uh, chat saying Blair Witch looked pretty good. I think it looks creepy as hell, and I'm not into creepy games. But yes, it did look actually uh, pretty good. If bring you're on, that. bring on the spookies. Yeah, if you're into the creepy games, the spooky games, Blair Witch uh, looked pretty solid as well. So, and that's also a Microsoft one that I was pretty impressed with. Um, what? There was another Microsoft one that I was like, yes! And I can't remember what it is now. Bummer. Well, uh, Gears 5. Gears 5 looks like garbage. Um, yeah, oh! Sure, same with Halo you know, 2022, whenever that Yeah, Halo Infinite. That's what I was going to call it. They are yep. saying it's going to be a release thing, release window for the... The new console. Yep, Halo Infinite looks like I got the feels way deep down in my my lower pants region uh, when I saw Master Chief get the whole like screen wiped off. I'm like, oh my god, it's Master Chief! Yes, yes, it's another Halo IP. Uh, so I was pretty pumped about that. I, you know what? I'll give it to them. That was that was a pretty good little announcement trailer or whatever. But did you watch the Doom trailer? 
Did you did you see when the Doom guy goes over to the giant cannon and he kicks the cannonball thingy out of it and then he launches himself into a building out of the BFG twenty nine thousand <laughs> or whatever the hell they're calling it? I because that's amazing. That. that was pretty good. I'll give you that. But I mean, I just have so many memories of Halo, and I I wasn't a huge fan of Reach. Like Halo Reach just didn't do it for me, and uh, I, I'm glad they're getting back to the original. You know, first-person shooter Halo story mode, like Halo sure. Infinite, feels good. And you'll be so. able to play it on, and you'll be able to play it on your fancy PC. Absolutely correct. With my uh, my uh, uh, Game Pass on PC, I'm excited about that. And your keyboard and mouse. And All right, let's mouse. let's jump into some real quick news here. Uh, where do you want to start? You want to start with Overwatch? Well, let's. Well, no, no, let's carry from E3, like recap to E3 news. Okay. Oh, all right, all right. The, I know the story that you, you've been dying to talk about. The namesake of our episode PP at E3 today. Uh, anybody who doesn't know this really can't claim themselves to be a, any sort of like mainstream gamer, but I want to talk about it because it's freaking hilarious. Uh, Dr. Disrespect has been banned from Twitch for streaming, live streaming in a public restroom at E3, which I think I is just, freaking uh, hilarious. I just... No, <laughs> it's awesome. So, okay, here's here's the thing. He wanted to live stream his entire E3 experience, and in traditional Doctor Disrespect fashion, at one point in time, he literally looks at the camera and he goes, "Oh God, I, I don't remember what it was. it's like." Something like, "Oh, that chili dog hit me in the wrong spot. I got toxic diarrhea," and he goes running to the bathroom, right? And on his way to the bathroom, and as he goes into the bathroom. Unfortunately enough for him, uh, there were people. There's in the someone bathroom. else in the public bathroom. Uh, who could have thought? Yeah, yeah, and that's freaking hilarious. Now, some people have said that it was all staged, and he's not actually ta- he's not actually banned from Twitch, and blah blah blah. Um, but even still, like it's hilarious. I think it's funny, and it, he hasn't been on Twitch for a while. Um, you know, he's been pretty quiet on Twitter. Uh, and he's not really showing like it's um, that big of a deal, um, but uh, I mean, it was pretty funny. I was, I was highlight highlight of E three right there. Highlight of E three. All right. Well, we'll keep you updated. Jason is going to be watching the twitters and and the Twitch streams to to find out when Poopgate uh, finally meets <laughs> some sort of resolution here. Okay. Well, so actually, interesting. So just just to call out in chat, Viper Zero saying that uh, he's been researching it. Apparently, a month ago, he said he wanted, or a few weeks ago, before E three, he wanted to take a month sabbatical from Twitch mm. and YouTube because he's burnt That's out. So convenient. he staged the gimmick to give him a break, which very well could be true. Um, but yeah, That's he's certainly convenient. not streaming current state. So I haven't, and I haven't done a ton of research. I just read the news articles and they made me laugh. Like, what will this, come next in Poopgate? Yes. Well, and it sounds like he developed a couple emotes of him peeking over a stall door, which I'm sure will get used immensely, because um, that's the greatest emote ever. Um, oh, damn it, gaming culture. Yeah, yeah, pretty awesome. So anyway, that's the E3 news that I want to talk about, which was, in my opinion, freaking hilarious. Even if it is staged, good for you. You know what? Disrespect. We finally, I feel like we finally, as gamers, have gotten over swatting. Right, you don't hear about swatting anymore. Now we're gonna have like pooping poop humor as poop the humor. next. Yeah, it's gonna be like peeking over stall doors to see if there's another gamer in there or something like that. Right, right. 
Thank you, Doctor right. Disrespect. Thank you, Doctor Disrespect. News, what else you got for like, actual news. A uh, couple things. So anybody who's been following the potential, um, what well, hasn't really been announced yet, but like either a live action and or uh, MMO and or story based mode of StarCraft. Uh, Blizzard came out uh, a week ago and said, "Ain't happening. It's too difficult. They couldn't. They couldn't pull it off, so they scrapped it." Um, and in them saying they scrapped it, which was interesting because nobody really knew they were working on it, uh, but they came out and said, "Oh, we're scrapping this IP, this uh, thing that yeah, nobody really knew about." Yeah, well, which actually is kind of sad because I love the StarCraft world, and I love the StarCraft games. Uh, and I really wish that it wouldn't just feel old. Like everything in StarCraft to me, anytime someone says StarCraft, I'm like, oh yeah, that game I played back in high school. Sure. Um, so it just feels really old. So it would have been cool to get a new IP out with the StarCraft, you know, world. Um, but yeah, they didn't they didn't talk about the fact that they did it. But in their release of saying, we've scrapped this project, they called out that no developers were fired or let go. They all moved on to Diablo 4 or Overwatch 2 projects, which we all knew realistically, if you were going to walk into BlizzCon this year in November and not have a freaking Diablo 4 announcement, you may as well just close the company doors and never open them again based on last year's. But nobody really knew about Overwatch 2. Like that was kind of so I'm I'm actually 50-50 on this release. One, I'm super hype on the idea of a Overwatch, another Overwatch IP that's being set in the Overwatch world. Super hype about that. Sure. Two, I'm a little bummed that that got out because realistically, like it would have been super cool to sit there watching BlizzCon again this year from the comfort of my own home because I paid for tickets last year and it fucking sucked. Uh, so I'm watching from my home this year. Um, it and to see that as a big new announcement. Yeah, it would have been super awesome to be there and be like, what? No way! Um, so yeah, I, I, you know, I feel like there's uh, there's still tons of possibility behind it. Like, we don't know what Overwatch 2 is. It could be just Overwatch 1 that, you know, they didn't feel like they charged enough for, so they're going to remove the loot boxes and charge you $90 instead of $60 for it. I don't know. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm surprised on this because I, mean, I love Overwatch. I would be happy with whatever they're going to come out with this in Overwatch 2, but I would love to know what sort of ideas they have that they think really require a sequel um, outside of... I guess, as you kind of mentioned, pay us $60 instead of just getting some loot boxes or something like that. Right. Um, because the game is constantly evolving, right? Like, they're adding new characters, they add new maps, they tweak things, they add new modes. Uh, so, you know, what would they need to do? Is this going to be some sort of crazy next-level graphics enhancement that, enhancement that they don't think they could do in-engine? Because this is the same company that's been using one continuous game in World of Warcraft for over a decade now with the graphical <laughs> enhancements and everything. Um so I'm I'm curious to see what they're going to come out with, and maybe that'll be what we get at BlizzCon. Not necessarily yeah. the announcement of the game, but actually what that might end up looking like. And I sincerely hope that's what we are going to get out of BlizzCon. Now, a couple things to keep in mind. Um, Titan, right? Overwatch was spawned from the idea of Titan, and Titan was an MMO that was built in its own universe. Um, and, and the idea behind it, if I remember reading it correctly before, like, and then again, this is all Roman Mill, everybody, like, you know, there's never been an official release of what Titan was, but based on what developers have said and things like that, Titan was essentially during the, um, the, the prequel to 
Overwatch, so like the Omnic Crisis, things like that. That's when Titan was set. Uh, and all of these characters essentially were real-life people that had these superhero abilities that you would level up and they'd become more and more superhero as they went on. Well, developers felt like the fun part of playing that game was uh, realistically the superhero part and the crappy part was the crafting and being a regular human being. Um, so they just shifted it into Overwatch, right? So you're saying Overwatch 2 is going to be the boring human part? Well, Overwatch 2 could very well, though, be a single-player PvE mode that plays through that previous world as compared to the, um, you know, where we're at today, right? So that, that's a possibility. That's things that people are talking about. I don't know if that's the case, but that's what they're talking about. There's also, um, you know, there's the Dota Auto Chess, which is a new game mode that's coming out for all kinds of games, like Legends just released Auto Chess. Um, the, the original creators of Auto Chess and the Dota mod have released their own Auto Chess game, uh, Valve is talking about releasing auto chess, so it very well could be an auto chess version of Overwatch, which I would be super disappointed in. But that could be it. Sure. Um, it could be a card game. It could be a mobile version of Overwatch, which I don't think Blizzard would make that mistake twice. It very well could. Um, so you know, there's there's so many questions that exist around this Overwatch Two world, right? Um, and it, it very well could be just completely separate characters, right? Maybe it's the same game, just. A billion different characters and a different story. Who knows? Sure. Um, so I'm I'm excited about that. I think it'll be a good announcement. And as long as they don't announce it as, oh, Overwatch coming to mobile, I'll be like, this is awesome. Right? Uh, hold on one second. Random question. It may have already been answered. Why would CD Projekt Red release 2077 at the very end of a console generation? Why would they not hold off to the next gen? Just a question. Uh, that's, that's a great, great question, question. Vibe. That's a very good question. I think, honestly, if I'm being realistic right now, I think CD Projekt Red uh, is smart enough to know that, one, uh, Cyberpunk 2077 will probably play on both consoles. And I know that they're building it with ray tracing and they're building it for a PC as well. So I can't imagine that Project Scarlet is going to have a problem taking advantage of the graphics capability of... 2077. So I think it'll probably play on both. I think they're trying to push the front end of getting it out earlier and knowing that Xbox isn't going to release Scarlet until, you know, November, December timeframe of next year, they wanted to get it out earlier. So that's probably why they're releasing it at the end of the console generation. Um, but it's an awesome question because I do feel like there's a lot of games out there um, that are pushing towards waiting until that next gen console comes out. So Brian, what do you think? Well, I can absolutely guarantee you that they are working with both Microsoft and Sony uh, with developer hardware or whatever that kind of is at this point. Probably just souped up PCs and everything running similar to what they're hoping for the final specs. Uh, how many versions of Witcher 3 did we end up getting in the end? Like, there's got to be 15 different versions of Game of the Year, Director's Cuts, Enhanced Editions, everything like that out there on different consoles and whatever. So I think they are looking to get this thing out there knowing that they are going to be able to re-release it on the new console in whatever form that is and also put it out there on Stadia and also put it out on whatever streaming things are out there as well. Yeah, yeah. That was a good question, though. Very good question. So yeah, that's uh that's my news. That's my news for the week. It was uh it was a good time. I'm excited for Overwatch 2. All right. 
So let's jump in. Um, I want to do a really quick final segment on here then. Uh, let's talk a little bit of an update on where we're at for our tabletop gaming. Because we don't talk enough about uh, physical and board game type stuff. Uh, so the last time we recapped this, what we're doing, uh, we had talked about this D&D world that we want to end up creating here. And I had talked about my mad plans as the GM to help get you guys out of the murder hoboness and yes. a little bit more into the role-playing and strategizing and teamwork as a party. Uh, so I want to do a little recap on, on where we're at for this whole endeavor. Uh, we've done two little preliminary one-shots. Uh, we did a game called Honey Heist, in which all of you guys were bears trying to break into a convention center and steal some honey. Uh, and you know what? You guys did it. You, you teamed up as bears, you did some creative problem solving, everybody had different skills, uh, and at the end of this whole adventure, uh, you escaped on a yacht full of honey. Uh, and it was fantastic, and it required you guys to roleplay and to strategize and to problem solve and think about things. Uh, and it also kind of helped introduce everybody to Roll20, which we've talked about before on the podcast as kind of this nice online center that we're going to be using for all of this, this tabletop gaming here, so everybody can do it remotely. Uh, we then followed that up with something really kind of fun. I, I really enjoyed uh, The Quiet Year. Uh, and this was almost, I wouldn't even call this a game. This was like a map-building experience or something. Um, what did you think about The Quiet Year, man? I So first let me start with Honey Heist. Because okay. We haven't even talked about quiet area, but I want to. I want to touch on honey, honey heist. So first and foremost, honey heist was such a unique system that I loved it. Right. So you, you're a bear and you're a criminal, right? And the more successful criminal things you do, you head, you shift your ability points more towards the criminal side, right? And if you get to five criminal points, you lose the game. And on the flip side, if you shift any criminal thing you fail or any bear thing you do correctly, you shift more towards the bear side. And for every five bear points, you lose the game. So you have to really balance, like, like I was the brains. I played, my bear was the brains, which is ironic because I'm nowhere near the brains. I'm like, yeah, that was a weird one. Been, like, it was fun. I should have been role playing. Yeah. If there was a class called the bumbling idiot, that should have been my class. Um, but like, I'm sitting here going, oh, yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. And and this guy's going to steal this. And they're like, oh, wait, we can't steal that, though, because I'm already at four criminal points. So if I succeed, we lose. I'm like, oh. All right. So we're going to send this person in. And they're going to be like, roar and scare everybody. And then this guy's going to steal it, even though he's not the thief. But he's only got two criminal points. So he's safe. Like, it was actually a really cool dynamic to the game that I would have never expected. Also, uh, my favorite part and one of Brand's favorite parts of the entire game was the fact that we're still bears. So when I'm talking to a human, I'm like, and I got to use hand motions. You're, and they're like, oh, look, I speak yeah, the, sign language. The, the bears are bears. The players are bears wearing hats. And kind of the, the way that this game is supposed to work is as long as you got that hat on, people can't quite figure out that you're a bear. Uh, but you also don't get to just go up and talk to people as if you were a human or whatever. You still are a bear. Exactly. Which I thought was freaking awesome. So it was funny because like I had to we we had our hacker hack into the database and print off some badges for the convention that we were going to. But then I had to explain to the front desk lady that I left my badge in my hotel room and she had to print me off a new one. And uh, 
it was kind of funny because I was trying to explain in bear language, uh, and it was awesome. And you worked so on some sort of sign language with her, and everything was great. Yeah, and turns out, according to the GM, she had a deaf brother, so she understood sign language, so it worked out. Um, it was it was a good time. Uh, I really do recommend that if anybody out there wants to do just something kind of short and fun and easy. Uh, from the GM standpoint, there's basically no prep whatsoever. You roll some dice, and that kind of gives you what you're doing. Um, I did make some maps and some flyers and a little bit of extra stuff just to make the world a little bit more fun. But you could do this at the same time as the players are rolling dice to make up their bears. And I will say our GM, uh, Brian, thank you very much, was lenient with us because there were times we're like, all right, so we're going to go in here and we're going to smash the glass and we're going to steal the honey case. And uh, uh, all right. And GM's like, all right, roll a 1d6. We roll a 1d6. It's a one. Okay. So you fall on your face as you walk in and try and steal said honey case. But turns out the person behind you managed to sneak in and grab it anyway. It's like, oh, whew, we got the honey case anyway. We're out. Now, it could have been because it was midnight RGM's time, or it also could have been just because he wanted us to complete it, but it was fun. It was a good time. A little, bit, a little column A, a little column B. It was exactly. a good time, though. Exactly. So that was Honey Heist. Now, let's go back to A Quiet Year, because A Quiet Year, for everybody who doesn't know, we're literally building a map. And the way it works is uh, we started out, there's a turn order, right? And, and our GM called out Brian, our GM called out, and he said, all right, here's your turn order. So, uh, Coley, Nicole, my wife, what is one of the things that's in our city? You know, and she called out, uh, a church. Okay, great. All right, uh, Chris, what is one of the things that's in our city? Oh, you know what? There's cliffs on the left-hand side. All right, cool. So it was really cool. Like, we got to design, like, he called out what is one of the things, and then he went and he asked, okay, now what are some resources? We're going to choose or five different resources that are available. And we called out the five different resources. And we could have been like anything from wood was one of our resources. And we could have said gumdrops. We have a shitload of gumdrops, right? We could have it's, called that. Yeah, they're, they're basically just supposed to be things that you think would be important to this, this town. So, you know, if you're a desert town, you might say fresh water is incredibly important. But if you're sitting right next to a stream, maybe fresh water is not as important. But gumdrops are lacking. Right, Exactly. Um, but then you have to go through and go, okay, now that you have all these resources, you have one that's plentiful and the rest of them are scarce. Which ones are they? It's like, oh, okay, gotcha. And as you play through these seasons, right, each season had, what, 12 cards, right? Yeah, well, it's a 52-card deck um, divided into the four different seasons. It's kind of a special deck of cards on it. But I shortened it out and we kind of cut it down to about 10 cards per, per So season. you play through the seasons and it's like you pull this card, each player gets to pull a card. And the card calls out like two different scenarios. Like one, the one I remember, which is because it's very prevalent to our D&D game is a new person joins the town, like comes into town, an unknown person comes into town, or all the old people die because of plague. Like, okay, well, I'm going to choose the new person comes to town. And then what has to happen is you call out, okay, who's the new person and what does he look like? And so that the man in black was spawned into our town, which has become what seems to be a large portion of our D&D story that we'll be playing through over the next few weeks, right? So um, it was a lot of fun. I actually had a blast with it. Uh, and I didn't think, I, honestly, I didn't know how I was going to react to it. Not, not necessarily react to it, but I didn't know how what it was going to feel. How like, it was going to play, like, yeah. Yeah. Well, it, so it's cool. Um, getting into the mechanics a little bit on it, because I think they're actually interesting. Uh, one of the things that the creator, um, 
Avery Alder said that they did when they were making this game is they wanted to try to simulate how the dynamic actually works within a community. And that's not always fun. Uh, A lot of a community is that people don't necessarily all get what they want. Uh, So what's really cool about it is that in this game, there is a lot of unilateral decision making. Um, So on your turn, you you draw a card, like Jason said, and you'll resolve whatever's on that card. Some things are kind of too good options, some things might be too bad options, some things might be a little bit more ambiguous, whatever. You, you pick one of them, you resolve it. Um, and then you can do one of three different actions. You can start a discussion. So yep. if you start a discussion, you start with either a question or some sort of declarative statement, and then it goes around the table one time, and everybody gets to say a couple things on it. So you might say, I think we need to build a well. And then it would go to Jason, and Jason would say, why do we need to build a well? We have enough water, but we're really low on food. And then it'll go to the next person. They say something. It goes to the next person. They say something. There's no crosstalk allowed, right? So I'm not allowed to rebut Jason and be like, dude, we need water too, you idiot, right? Like it's meant to kind of represent (laughs) that, you know, in a town, everybody kind of gets their say, but not everybody gets to have these big discussions because, you know, you don't have time for that. Um, So that's, you know, the first one. Uh, The second action that you can do is to uh, discover something new. And this can be whatever you want, basically. You could say, oh, okay, you know, some kids were playing in the forest and they found a, you know, overturned grave. Or they were playing in the forest and they found a whole bunch of gold doubloons. You get to discover something on the map. Um, And the last one, and what I think is kind of the most interesting of all of them, is that you can basically come up with a new project that your town is going to be doing now. And this is something that the active player just gets to unilaterally say, we are doing this thing now. And there is no discussion allowed. Nobody else gets to kind of put their input in it, really. Uh, you just say, we are going to go and we're going to start mining for gold over here. Because yep. that's what I think that, you know, would be cool for us to do. Or I think we need to build some boats and go start some, you know, f- fisheries or something like that. Um, and nobody else gets to have any sort of say in it. You just get to decide that that's what the town is now doing. Uh, the town then decides, everybody in the game gets to decide together how long that thing is going to take. And basically the way the game is divided is every person's turn represents one week. So you might say, okay, you know, building a boat is going to take us five weeks. And so, you know, every week then, every player's turn, it ticks down one until that boat's done. And then you get to doodle a little boat on the map. And um, and that's actually, I guess, the one other thing that we've talked about it being a map building game. But one thing that's really cool is every action that you do has to be represent- represented on this map. So when you say the man in black arrived in town, we need to draw the little man in black, you know, showing up on shore. And then later on, when the man in black ended up kind of becoming the leader, now the man in black gets to move inside the town. And, you know, uh, when we armed the women and children, little Susie got a a sword added to her. And it's really cool because you end up with this mismatch of five different people drawing on this shared game board that at the end of it now is kind of this fun little memento that we have. Uh, But in this bigger game that we're going to be playing now, this is... uh, the town of Elmer's Rest, which is going to be kind of the starting off point for all of our our heroes here and kind of the meeting point for the party and and everything like that. Uh, a really cool game. Yeah, I'm, uh, I am I loved it. And, and the uh, the funny part was like, so you called out like choose an action, do an action or uh, not an action, but a project. Yeah. Right? And Nicole, my wife, she's like, we're going to find Griffins so we can train the Griffin Riders. Which Griffins weren't even a part of the... Yeah, just, nobody had mentioned Griffins yet. This was just something that she thought would be like a cool addition to this fantasy world. Yep. So we're like, all right, sweet. Let's go find Griffins. 
and we were getting like attacked by people on the hill people and i'm like f the griffins and then i pulled a card that says cancel a project i'm like well we're canceling the griffins yeah we're, we don't we're done with the griffin thing but then i trained ninjas because i wanted ninjas in our environment so like my project was to train ninjas uh, i was a little peeved that it took six weeks to train ninjas when it only took four weeks to find griffins which don't actually exist but it's all right i think my i think jason has no idea what goes into ninja training Throwing ninja stars. It's easy. It's hiding in the shadows and throwing in. You literally have to put on a black suit, hide in shadows, and throw ninja stars. It takes three weeks at most. The last thing that's cool about this game, then, which Jason kind of is hinting at here, is that people will suggest things that you really don't necessarily think fits into this town. Um, this is not a role-playing game, right? So as you're doing this, you are not a person in town. You are like this omnipotent kind of ethereal thing that is just representing the town at any given moment as things change so when nicole says we need to train griffins or when jason says we need to train ninjas i can sit there and say well the you know the townsfolk the women and children think that is an idiotic idea because we are starving right now we do not need griffins that are going to require even more food to eat and everything like that so you're not allowed to have that discussion but what you can do to represent your disgust in this is you can grab a token that is basically a contempt token saying that I think that was a stupid move and I can't actually do anything to stop you from doing this because it's your turn but I can take this poker chip that basically says screw you and your dumb ninjas it, it was yeah, fun you and your dumb moves I think Brant had like 17 contempt tokens <laughs> so he just took it for everything yeah so okay so where does this it leave left us us now with have writing backstories yeah we have a great backstory uh, for anybody out there that is a GM or wants to be a GM. This is actually like the favorite thing I've done in tabletop gaming, and I don't have a ton of experience in it, but we now have the entire party super invested in this cool little backstory that they built up. Uh, they don't know what's coming. So what ends up happening in the quiet year is when the King of Spades is drawn, the game ends. And it is just literally over. The The card says something about, you know, the frost giants come or something like that. But it's, it's essentially the game is done. And yep. it's meant to be that way, right? You don't know when that card is going to be drawn. It's going to be sometime in winter. The cards are shuffled in. And you're going to pull out this card and the game is just over. So now we can start our D&D campaign where everybody kind of has this neat little world. We've worked on role playing. They kind of have, you know, we've played together. Everybody knows how Rule 20 works. And they're going to come in, and I am going to basically get to, as the GM, decide what this catastrophe is that befell the town and kind of kick everything off and get them going. And you know what? I'm not going to tell you at all yet what is going to happen because you got to wait till Monday. I'm not worried about it. So, you know, I will say that one of the, one of the most fun things uh, that I've had an opportunity to do so far is write this backstory. Like... It was just fun to be like, okay, I know the parameters to an extent. We actually hadn't played the quiet year by the time I wrote the backstory, so I didn't know anything about the town. Um, but I know some of the parameters. I knew the class I wanted to be. I knew the, the race I wanted to be in. I got to go from there. And uh, it was a blast, dude, just being able to be creative and go out and be like, you know what? I know the, I know the, the alignment. I know the drive that I want my character to have. So how do I, how do I build that out? And it was awesome. And then, you know, everybody else wrote their backstories and reading through those. It's like reading through a fantasy book. It's awesome. And then I love my wife. She's hilarious. But she, like, writes this super in-depth backstory. And 
She's got dialogue it, going back and forth between characters, and it was awesome. Great. And, and she's like, "Are they gonna hate me? Is it bad?" I'm like, "No, dude. Yours is. I'm all about it. Go to town. It was fun. So, uh, you know, I'm really excited. I, I really enjoyed reading through everybody's backstory. I really enjoyed um, the way that we had to." go back and figure out how we all landed in Elmer's Rest, which is the name of our town. Um, and I'm also really excited about just starting next Monday. I think it's going to be a good time. I'm pumped. Jameson, you better be, freaking be, be there time. so we can start. It'll be fun. I, I'm really looking forward to it. And I think, uh, I think you guys are going to like this story arc that I've come up with. I think so too. So, I, I do have a question in chat that I, I want you to address because um, you introduced you got for me? me to it. Uh, I, Vibe Zero, I recommended uh, Letters to Whitechapel to. Okay. And uh, he's like, I still don't understand how this game works. I'm the dumbest board game player ever. <laughs> uh, so All I'm right, going gonna, so, gonna, to give my tips on it first. So that's, my, just, my, that's not a question, um, yes. first off. That, that is just a declarative statement. Yes. But I also don't think you are the dumbest person. Yes, so I'm gonna. I'm, I'm gonna talking call to the dumbest person. Touche. Shut up. I mean, touche. Uh, so, letters to Whitechapel. The idea behind letters to Whitechapel is you are you as a group. So there's one person. And Vipe, if you're playing this with two people, it may be a little difficult. But maybe not. I mean, you can play control all the police, but then you're all by yourself. Um, but it's, it's definitely more fun with a group of people. So we played it with. We had three. Three people. Three we or four. With. Yeah, three or four works really nicely. So there's one person in that group, whoever it may be, that plays Jack the Ripper. Okay. And then the rest of the group plays as Scotland Yard, the police. All right. You set up, there's uh, prostitutes all over the board. Yes, they're prostitutes. For some odd reason, Nicole hates it when I call them prostitutes. But they're prostitutes. That's what they are. Jack the Ripper killed prostitutes. Anyway, you set up prostitutes all over the board. And the idea is there's certain parameters that Jack can move. And you're allowed to know those parameters, right? He can only move one space at a time, but one time per, is it per game or per turn or whatever, he can move up to three spaces based on he hops in a stagecoach. Yeah, it's it's per round. Um, and yes, he gets a couple different special moves that he can move either between alleys or he can take a stagecoach type thing or whatever it is and move a couple extra spaces. Right. But the idea is, as Scotland Yard, you move to these spaces around where that, essentially, that prostitute was murdered. Um, and you move when you move into those spaces, you ask, was Jack here? Right? And Jack the Ripper has to tell you, for certain, like, no lies, yes, I was in that space. So at now you understand. At any point this round, I have occupied that space. Correct. And see, and that's the, and that's the key because they could be there currently, and you don't necessarily have to say I am standing there right now. You just have to say yes. At some point, I have been in that space. Right. So the idea is you understand, like, okay, he murdered a prostitute in the northeast quadrant of the map, and he occupied a space in three, four, five spaces south of that. So I know that his hideout has to be south of that. Or at least I think his hideout has to be south of that. Right? So you kind of like start sectioning off quadrants of the map saying, well, he must be over here. And then he murders the next prostitute. You go, okay, 
I know that I had his hideout pinned in this quadrant of the map. So I'm going to assume he went to this space. Did Jack go to this space? And he goes, yes, I was in that space. And you're like, okay, I'm triangulating, triangulating a spot on the map where Jack was. Um, now, if you get a tricky Jack the Ripper like we had with Lena, Brian's wife, um, she will go south to cut way back north. So you're freaking over in the southeast quadrant of the map going, she's got to be over here somewhere. And she's over in the northwest like, no, I'm good. I'm over here. Right. But it's it's a lot of fun. And especially and, if you yeah. get a group that is comfortable playing it or you understand the rules well enough, it's a ton of fun. So that's the key to it. Uh, strategy wise, you really should not be trying to finish it. If you're if you're Scotland Yard, you should not be trying to finish this in one round. You, you need no. to accept that this is going to take a couple rounds. And what you're trying to do is use those first couple rounds to build up some idea of the area that that hideout might be in. Right, because if you can start figuring that out in the first round or the second round, you can start positioning your people, your investigators, in kind of the area that you think the hideout is. So once you get to those later rounds, you're kind of positioned nicely to cut off Jack and capture them before they can get back to the hideout and everything. Um, if you are Jack, there's a lot of strategy in trying to double back on your own moves or really do some sort of big circuitous route to get back to your hideout but you need to be careful because the more moves you make the more you could kind of give up your trail of where you're heading and everything so there is a lot right. of strategy if you if you kill something too close to your hideout and it only takes you two moves to get there they know that your hideout has to be in this relatively small region around where you made that murder uh it, it, it's fun it, it's a really cool little game but you do have to have the right group for it um, yeah. i will say that because it's a lot of sitting and thinking and arguing back and forth amongst the investigators. Um, one thing I will say, one of my favorite things in all of gaming has come from this game. And I really haven't busted this out in probably two years now. But one of the really cool parts about it and something I love in gaming in these asymmetrical type things is as Jack, you are sitting there at the table. So you make your move. And then it's the investigator's turn to go. And you're sitting at this table as they have this discussion amongst themselves trying to figure out where you are. So you're sitting there with this little GM blind in front of you so they can't see your game sheet and everything. And they're talking. They're like, there's no possible way that Jack could have gone this way. Okay, well, look, okay, so if we put the, the brown investigator here and the blue one here and the yellow one here, then we can completely cut them off. And there's no way they can go except for south down this way. And you're sitting there this whole time trying not to smile because you're like, you fucking idiots missed this road right here. And I'm going to sneak right past you. And there is no way that you're going to catch me now because you've like, you know, talked all this through at the table in, you know, open hearing to the person that you're trying to catch. It, oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good time. So Vipe, uh, understand that it's not an easy game to understand for sure, especially if there's only two players. Also, like you called out, if you don't enjoy reading a 17-page instruction manual, <laughs> uh, that's a bad one. I also wouldn't watch, recommend Betrayal. Uh, watch a couple uh, Let's Plays of it, because the rules are actually incredibly simple once you get them down. Uh, the rules are written very poorly, though. I will definitely agree on that. It, it's confusing, but like once you get down the actual systems, there's relatively little that either character is kind of doing on it. Yeah. Um, but one thing I, I do want to talk to Brian about, and we're going to end this podcast quick because we're already at a minute or an hour and 15 minutes, but uh, we have talked about, and I have talked, we want to do more board game type stuff. So there's things like time stories I want to talk about on the board game side of things. Uh, Vibe Zero, I know you picked up Alchemist. Uh, we've played Alchemist quite a few times. Uh, we've actually talked about it on the podcast before, but uh, board games are a ton of fun. And Brian and I play them a lot. 
Uh, so we're going to try and incorporate some more board game stuff to this too. So if you're a fan of board games, certainly listen in because we'll, I mean, we may focus on some video games here or there, but I want to try and get a segment of board games in as many as we can, as often as we can. So Agreed, agreed. So yeah. But right. with that being said, I think at a, an hour and 20 minutes-ish, we should probably call it good. So I'm going to call out all of the things that we do on a daily basis that uh, keep us connected. So first and foremost, uh, if you guys have any want and or need to get in touch with us, here's some ways to do it. One, Facebook, www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash GG podcast. We're there. Check us out. Two, website, www.trinitygamers.com, uh, which is pretty solid out there. You can see us out there. That's where we post all of our podcasts in their raw form, at least. Um, we also have all of our podcasts out on Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, really anywhere you can get a, a podcast. Uh, we're going to be out there. Um, so please feel free to, to subscribe, like us out there, shoot us a review, tell us how terrible we are or great we are. Um, all feedback is welcome though. If you're going to tell us how bad we are, at least give them a five star review so we can get more people listening to how bad we are. Um, just kidding. No, just give us the actual review we deserve. Um, what else we got? We got Twitter at GG podcast one, which is available. Hit us up on Twitter or watch um, us live or watch us live right now. We are out at my Twitch channel mainly because I want to monetize as much of this as possible for me and leave Brian out of it. Uh, dollar, dollar Twitch, bills, y'all twitch.tv forward slash ignatio i-g-n-a-t-i-o one three that's where we're at there um and then last but not least we do have an email address which is ggpodcast at trinitygamers.com those are all the ways to get in touch with us if you like what we do if you like us talking to you and if you feel like we need to provide more beer to the podcast um, you can support us out at Patreon. We are at patreon.com forward slash Trinity. Or, I'm sorry, not Trinity Gamers. That would be terrible. GG Podcast. So patreon.com forward slash GG Podcasts. We're out there. Donate a dollar a month, $2 a month, $5 a month. Um, your perks are pretty much limited to almost nothing. But we do have a Discord channel that but we uh, appreciate it. we'd be happy to talk to you about. So that is us at the GG Podcast. Right, or buddy. you can donate bits like bits like Vibe Zero did. Hey, thanks for the bits, Vibe. Um, so that's the way to talk to us. Anyway, have a good night, Bri. It's good talking to you again for the first time in like three weeks. It was good talking was good. to you too, buddy. Have and, fun gaming. Uh, I'm gonna have fun gaming. I'm gonna play some division. What are you gonna do? You're gonna go to I'm bed. Go to it's bed. like midnight. <laughs> it's like have a midnight, good night, everybody. Have a good night. GG, everybody. GG.